When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's September 3rd, 1838, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. It was on this day that Frederick Douglass, the U.S. abolitionist, orator, and just all-round good guy, escaped from slavery aided by a very good disguise, and to win his freedom, he posed as a sailor and snuck out of Baltimore on a train bound for Philadelphia. But the journey was pretty touch and go and several things happened along the way that meant that he very nearly didn't make it. When you say very good disguise, literally red shirt, (laughs) sailor's hat, black cravat, what was the good disguise? The crucial element of the disguise is that he was able to obtain some false identity papers from a black sailor. I feel like without those, the costume, you know, while pretty charming and whimsical, might not have, you know, fooled the the, the local authorities. Wouldn't have passed muster with a slavery or a train conductor. Yeah, probably not. Apparently, when he came to him, uh, he managed to distract the conductor by pointing to the eagle, the American eagle at the top of the document, and commenting on... (laughs) Malcolm Bird! Classic. Well, <laughs> well, more apparently, more sort of appealing to his sense of patriotism and saying, you know, this is the the great yeah. logo that has taken me across the world and really hamming it up at this point. You can tell that you can tell the beginnings of like the great orator. You know, he really knew how to sort of spin a yarn. Yeah, and apparently the conductor was just, just like, yeah, 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 and walked off and uh, and left him to it. But also, he was chancing his arm because what he didn't have were papers saying what boat he was going off to, dressed as a sailor. Because guess what, he wasn't. Mm. What he had was what they called a sailor's protection pass which is what he'd borrowed from his mate which was just a paper that said i'm not a slave because i work on the ships for this country that's that's it like Mm. even someone who legit had that might have been sent back not into slavery but to their destination to get some proper paperwork yeah. So there was risks all around, really. Yeah. And you'd imagine risks for the person who loaned it to him, too. I think there's so much about Frederick Douglass's story that shows how complicated and different people's experiences. And I think we've sort of condensed our impressions of what American slavery was into a kind of, you know, a selection of sort of snapshot images. So if we think about someone escaping from slavery, we think about, you know, running through the forest, mm. hiding out at people's homes and stuff. And he, like a lot of other people who escaped slavery, he escaped by getting on a train and just convinced everyone that he was a legitimate passenger Mm -hmm. and the same with his um, childhood years as well you know he was born on a plantation in Maryland but at a young age he was sent to work in a house in the city in Baltimore and he was one of the millions of slaves who didn't work on plantations you know picking cotton in like we have in the popular imagination and if you went to those southern cities you would have seen enslaved people working as you know carpenters bootmakers even as sailors you know slaves were sometimes permitted what we would see as a small amount of freedom. It's quite hard to talk about this actually for an international audience because if you're in the States you almost certainly know who Frederick Douglass Mm. is and we're doing a real kind of like school history 101 here. (laughs) Uh, But if you're British you almost certainly don't. I mean I'd Mm. actually not heard of Frederick Douglass till I started looking into this story and I was astonished to read that he is actually some reckon the most photographed man of the 19th century. There Mm. are 160 separate portraits of him which is more than Abraham Lincoln or Walt Whitman. 
And that was a very deliberate decision on his part. One thing about Douglas's later career as an abolitionist was that he was incredibly media savvy. And what he was especially good at was being a bit spicy and controversial so that his voice was, you know, always out there, but not so controversial that he was at risk of being sort of silenced and frozen out by the white liberal establishment. He realised the importance of images and he realised that so many white Americans were only seeing kind of cartoonish portrayals of slaves and of free black people as well, that he deliberately had his, you know, face circulated in the press as much as possible. And he always, he famously always had a very stern expression. He didn't want to be seen as, you know, the happy slave. And was incredibly well-dressed. And I think that he was communicating not only with an audience within the US, but also externally, that partly he was trying to project this idea that black people had the same amount of capacity as absolutely anyone else. Also, the title of his autobiography conveyed something of the same message. It was called The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written by himself. And that written by himself bit was really key. He was trying to convey that this wasn't something that was ghostwritten. It wasn't something that came from someone who had no understanding of uh, literacy full stop. This was, this was a story about a person who had gone through this all of this horrendous stuff, and it was written by the man himself. So we should say, again, for the Brits who don't know, he ended up working for presidents. He wasn't just kind of like a figure that people went to see on the public speaking circuit once slavery had been abolished. I think he worked for five different US presidents and managed to find a way to appeal to white Americans on both sides of the political divide. So he was a Republican. And, mm. you know, he married a white person, controversially at the time his second marriage was to a white person. He himself was mixed race. His father was white, but he never met his father. And there are elements of his story that I think were just easily empathetic to a white audience. So it doesn't matter what colour you are, if you imagine yourself coming off that train in New York when he escaped. He was then yeah. in a situation where... Even though he was in New York where slavery wasn't legal, because he'd been born into slavery, he was still legally a slave. And so it, it was still the case that if he was kidnapped in New York by slave catchers, he could be a slave again and he could be brought back to where he'd come from. He had to escape to Massachusetts, change his name. Um, and only when he paid enough money to become a free man in the eyes of the law would he become a free man. I had no idea of all that stuff because I, mm. I think of 12 mm -hmm. years a slave, you know, and that big climax of the Emory gets to New mm. York and it's all over. But of course, Solomon Northrop's situation was different because he was a free man who was kidnapped in the first place, not mm -hmm. a man who was born into slavery. Yeah. Just one really beautiful thing that um, I thought is worth revisiting is the way that he described um, the feeling after he managed this escape. He said, I felt as one might feel upon escape from a den of hungry lions. Anguish and grief like darkness and rain may be depicted, but gladness and joy like the rainbow defy the skill of pen and pencil. I just thought it's a really beautiful and lyrical way of describing what must have been just the overwhelming feeling of relief to have got the hell out of that situation. But also, he was 20 at the time, which is a different risk calculation, actually, isn't it? But I do think when you're 20, you're more likely to take those kind of chances. I think had he, had he been double that age, yeah. you wouldn't yeah. risk it, would you? Oh, and he says himself that if he hadn't been successful, he just, that would have been it. He just would have, his will would have been broken. And there was this weird thing where there was this weird conspiracy rumour at the time that some white people didn't believe that he was real mm. or they didn't believe that he'd actually written these things or they thought that he had been like taught to memorise his speeches because he couldn't have come up with them himself. You know, it was crazy. And it wasn't really until around the Civil War time that he cemented this status as 
kind of a public intellectual. I mean, obviously there were still millions of people who hated the sight of him, mm. but he did have this very sort of prestigious public status, partly from the fact that he met President Lincoln on several occasions and had, you know, lengthy conversations with him. You know, they didn't agree on everything. And Douglas was quite, you know, quite forthright on saying that Lincoln was the white man's president. But he did have this enshrined public status. I don't think any other, you know, black people would have for decades afterwards. So in 1848, he published an anti-slavery tract in the form of an open letter to his former master, who was a man named Thomas Old. Uh, and he starts by noting, quote, the disagreeable surprise which you may experience on again finding your name coupled with mine in any other way than in an hmm. advertisement describing my person and offering a large sum for my arrest. Hmm. He really calls Thomas Auld out personally. He brings up specific incidents and names specific people. You know, he's really coming for him. And it skirts into quite controversial territory because there's a passage in it where he asks Thomas directly how he would feel if Douglas and his friends carried off his daughter Amanda into slavery. And there's talk about, you know, her being scantily dressed and, you know, open to the depravities of overseers and stuff. You know, he's really getting into quite racy territory for the time, but he's touching on what would become one of the main themes for the abolitionist, which was not so much slavery as a moral evil in and of itself, but this idea that women were being corrupted by the by being preyed on by their masters and white overseers. And that actually became like, it really seemed to strike a chord with the public more than just sort of a general argument about slavery being evil. But I think that was because there was a kind of a titillating element to it as well. You know, that is, we still have it now, you know, like how awful, tell me more. Mm. You know, that that sort of sensational side was what actually ended up becoming like one of the, the biggest the biggest themes. As you know, I like to link all historical events we cover to Hertfordshire if I can. Um, <laughs> in this instance, I can go as far as Northamptonshire uh, because he spoke in Northampton Town Hall on the 29th of March, 1847. And in fact, it was as a result of that talk and others that he gave on that tour uh, that he was able to raise that money to become a free man. It was actually Britons that um, donated the $700 required so that he could become a free man in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, let's see you teach that in your syllabus, America. <laughs> <laughs> Next time... That's obviously why it's called Piggly Wiggly. And he could never tell the American consumer that was the case. <laughs> Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.